I want to open the word to you. This, this is not a specific series. Uh, this is a word I really feel like God put on my heart for today. And uh, this is a now word for a now time uh, in, in the midst of our nation, in the life of the church of Jesus Christ that I believe is very strategic. So I want you to go to Judges, Old Testament, Judges chapter 13. We're going to start in verse 3. It says, The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless. But you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. This is really important because no matter what your past condition is, or no matter what your present condition is, it does not dictate your future possibilities. So when God's involved, he'll take your past situation and he'll flip it, and he'll use what the enemy meant for evil and he'll work it for good. So he says, you are barren and childless, but you will be pregnant and give birth to a son now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean you will become pregnant and have a son whose head is to never be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines he will take the lead in delivering the Israelites the, the Israel from the hands of the Philistines if you didn't know this, the book of Judges was written before there were kings. So before Israel had kings, Israel had judges. Judges were appointed by God to help lead the children of Israel into the promises that God had for them. So when we pick up the story in Judges chapter 13, we are observing a cycle of oppression, slavery, and persecution for the children of Israel. And I say cycle because if you read your Old Testament, it is exactly that. It is we serve God, we fall away from God, we cry out to God, God saves us, we serve him, and so forth, and so on, and so on and so forth. It over and over and over again. What's interesting is the Old Testament is whenever the people of God cried out, God delivered them. People of God will cry out for help no matter how many times. They find themselves in slavery again or in captivity again. They cry out to God, and God comes through. This is the first instance in the Old Testament where they don't cry out, but God comes through. Now, I want you to know this, and most theologians believe this, is, is that the people of Israel got so used to being oppressed that they stopped crying out to God for freedom. That they got so used to the pressure, so used to the persecution, that they said, this is just how it is, and they stopped crying out. God in his providence and God in his goodness said, we're not going to leave you like this. We're going to send a deliverer to you. But it's interesting that the people of Israel had gone to such a place, a, such a posture, that they became okay with a slavery that was not okay. I believe this is that in our nation, specifically the church of Jesus Christ, we have settled for things. We've settled for levels. We've settled for oppression. We've settled for opposition. And instead of fighting back against the kingdom of darkness, instead of fighting back against our, our culture with no absolute truth, instead of fighting back against our culture that have denied God and denied the power of his working, instead of kicking back, we stopped crying out to God, and for some of us, we went from mission mode to survival mode. That's kind of how 2020 has felt at times, hasn't it? It's like, let's just get through it. Like, how many more days till 2021 again? Like, are we almost there and on the verge of possibly more lockdowns and, and more? I mean, people are like, Man, let's just get through this year. But I want to caution you. 
that you don't slip into survival mode when God has called his church to be in mission mode. And I see it more now than ever before. This is not a time of retreat for, this, for the church. This is a time of advancement. A little bit of noise, a little bit of opposition, a little bit of distraction does not mean that the church sits down and be quiet. This, this means war. This means the church needs to stand up and be counted. This means the church needs to pray like never before. This needs the church that means the church needs to hold on to promises that in other times maybe we have let go of. They became the Israelites became so comfortable with oppression that they didn't even cry out to God. And so God comes to Samson's mom, and we don't even know her name. We just know that he, she was Samson's mom. He comes to Samson's mom and he says, you are barren and childless. Not the greatest greeting from God. You know, it's like, yeah, I know. Thank you for the news update. Anything else? But this is important to me because when, when the angel of the Lord says you're childless, what he is saying is, I see your condition. He's saying, I understand the inner workings of your life. I see the struggle. I see. the. Isn't it good to know that God sees us for who we are and what we are? God sees us in our weakness. God sees us in our frailty. I don't know if you know this or not, but God sees past our facades. God sees, God sees past our social media. God sees past those things, and he knows who we are. So when he comes to Samson's mom, he says, you're childless. You're barren. You got a bad situation going on. But I, I, I see you. See, God seeing our weakness is not God's judgment on who we are. God seeing our weakness is oftentimes God's compassion on what we're going through. For God to see you should not shame you. For God to see you means he loves you. And this is what he says to Samson's mom. He says, You're, this, is who, this is who you are. This is where you are. But I see you. Now, for her to be barren... That must have meant that she tried, they tried to get pregnant, but they couldn't because they knew that she was barren. So there was an attempt and a desire to carry, but she couldn't. I want to tell you this, oftentimes in life, situations, trauma, pain, difficulty, broken trust, opposition, persecution, doctor's reports, pandemics, election years, can fragment us in such a way that it'll break us. And brokenness that's not dealt with leads to bitterness. And bitterness that's not dealt with leads to barrenness. If you ever wonder why you're barren spiritually, you got to go back to the thing that hit you and broke you and see what it was. i got to identify what broke me, what made me bitter, and what resulted in me being barren. Instead of being mad that I'm barren, i got to look back at what broke me. When we're talking about spiritual barrenness, it's usually some type of difficulty that hits our life that either someone doesn't deal with properly or we don't deal with properly. And it creates a space, a wound, an opportunity for barrenness to settle into our life. We didn't trick God. God knows our barrenness. He knows our heart. Broken plus bitter equals barren. So important to guard our heart, especially when you go through difficult times. You know, I see a lot of people, when they go through difficult times, it's like the adrenaline rush. Like 2020 has been the longest adrenaline rush in history. It's like, we can make it. But it's also been the longest year ever. 
I was talking to somebody about something that happened in January. I'm like, that was not this year. They say, oh, yeah, that was, that was this year. I'm like, no, surely that was like three years ago. It feels so long. But a lot of times people have the adrenaline to make it through crisis. But on the other side of crisis, when peace comes, they become, they become bitter at what they went through. You have to be careful. A lot of you will get through battles because you just won't go down, you won't die, but you get on the other side of the battle when you look back at what you lost or what you went through or what happened. It will cause bitterness in your heart. When bitterness is there, barrenness is sure to follow. God speaks to her and he says, you're barren and you're child, childless. But Look at this. He says, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. I love this because this is the grace of God. He says, this is your current condition, but that's not going to define your future possibility. That's who you are, but this is what I have for you. You were barren and childless. Doesn't faze me. You will become pregnant, and you will have a son. See, this is how the grace of God works. Many of us disqualify ourselves before we ever step into purpose, but God's not threatened by your yesterday. God's not threatened by a bad chapter, bad season, or a bad life. God is not threatened by what's happened in the past. In fact, he sees it. He knows it's there. But then he gives us possibility. So he says to Samson's mom, which I wish we knew her name because I feel bad calling her Samson's mom, but you know, she's Samson's mom. He says to Samson's mom, but you will, you will become pregnant and give birth to a son. God chose her as a vehicle or as a carrier of the purpose of God. She was not the deliverer, but she began to carry the deliverer. Samson was the deliverer, but God called her to carry Samson. God, I don't know if you know this or not, but for each of us, God has a specific purpose for our life. No, no, one, no one is outside of the, of, of the plan of God with no purpose. God does not just have a purpose for people that are preachers or in ministry. God has a purpose for each person to use giftings that he's put inside of them to advance his kingdom. You will never have true satisfaction in your life until you identify that God-given purpose and use it to advance his kingdom. That's why you can build a great business and be unhappy. That's why you can have great resource and be unfulfilled. Because until you use what God gave you to advance his kingdom, you will never be fulfilled in it. So I got to use everything God. Some of you are great parents. And God uses that gift to bring deliverers into the world, to carry something about. Some of you are great business minds. God will use that gift to provide wealth and resource to advance the kingdom of God. Some of you are great encouragers. Some of you are great intercessors. Some of you are great leaders. God will use your gift. If it works in the world, it'll work for the kingdom. The problem is many times people think the gift that works for the world is mine. And it comes from me. But everything that I have comes from him. And everything that he's gifted us with is for his purpose and for the advancement of his kingdom. The Lord knew her current condition, but he also knew her future assignment. It says that, that, that he was to be, Samson was to be a Nazarite from the moment he was born. In the text that we read, it, it talks about some of the elements of what a Nazarite was. A Nazarite vow is what they called it, they, that Samson would take from birth. Most Nazarites would take it for a season of their life. 
But Samson was set apart by God as a deliverer to his generation. And he said, this guy, Samson, will be a Nazarite from birth. So God speaks to Samson's mom, and he says, this, this is what a Nazarite is. He says that there can be no alcohol, no wine, no fermented drink that, will, that he can ever taste because he is about to be set apart. And the reason for that was that, that Samson was to have no other or be under no other influence other than the Spirit of God. That's what that Nazarite vow was, that my only influence would be that of the Spirit of God. It, it also, another element of it was no cutting of the hair. So it looked like all of us coming out of quarantine. It's like, well, Nazarites? No. Pandemic. It, it's, it was, there was no cutting of the hair. So throughout the, the vow, they would let their hair grow. Can you imagine? I mean, Samson must have had some long hair. And, 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 but that was an outward sign of an inward commitment. It, it, you, could see, you could see outwardly when a Nazarene was coming because they would be unkept. They would have long hair, and it was a sign. Oh, look, they are consecrated or set apart for the Lord. The third element of it was that there was no touching of a dead body. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament and law, if you touch something that was dead, you became unclean. And you would have to sanctify yourself for a certain amount of days before you could become clean. So during that unclean period, you could not go into the temple or you could not worship with everyone else. You were unclean. So it broke your fellowship with God. The Nazarene, the Nazarite vow, was that your fellowship with God would never be broken. So don't go, through, don't go, don't go after wine, so you're not in the, under any influence. Do not, uh, do not touch a dead body, so that you break fellowship. And do not cut your hair, so that you can have an outward sign of what God's doing on the inside. Now we live under a new covenant. We live in a new, new day, in New Testament reality and theology. But the Nazarite vow remains the same. It has, symb it has symbolism that speaks to us today that there should be no other influence other than that of the Spirit of God. That does not mean that there, you should never touch wine or never have fermented drink or, or, or communion juice. But it, it, it means that my influence has to be from that of the Spirit of God. He says no cutting of the hair. That has symbolism for us because there should be an outside evidence that we are consecrated. That means that we shouldn't look just like the world. We shouldn't act just like the world. We shouldn't respond just like the world. Right now in our nation, on the heels of election and all kinds of tumultuous times, the church of Jesus Christ should be seen, heard, and noticed more than ever before. Some of you are like, well, I don't know what the right thing to do is. The right thing to do is to look and sound and be like Jesus. Th that actually is more important and a higher priority than any other thing. That he actually comes, I'm a Christian before I'm American. I, th I thought I'd get a better amen out of that. I'm a Christian before I'm American. I think I'm still trying to convince some people. I I'm a Christian before I'm an American. That was better. That was better. I gave you a cue, but it was better. There was a vow of consecration. Do you know what I see? I, I, I see way less consecration in Christians anymore. Consecration is not legalism. It's not religious laws and rules. It's being set apart. It's been, why? 
Why do we need to be set apart? The scripture goes on and it says that he will take the lead in delivering Israel. So now I want you to see this. Samson's mom has been called childless and barren. But the angel of the Lord says, that's not where you're going to end up. I'm going to make sure that you are pregnant, that you give birth to a son. That son is going to be a deliverer. He's going to be a deliverer of the Israelites. So Samson's mom's entire life changes based on what she was carrying. And this is what I want to propose to you, is that God has put something on the inside of each of us. And when we know that we're carrying something for the kingdom, it changes everything about how we live, how we walk, how we respond, how we post, how we tweet, how we love, how we pray, how we give, because we understand we're carrying something. I remember when Jamie got pregnant the first time with, her, with our firstborn son, Jude. I remember when she got pregnant. The test said she was pregnant, but I couldn't tell any difference. She was showing, and she's like, I'm praying. I'm like, man, are you sure? That thing was like $7.95 at CVS. Like, do we know? I mean, that, that's going to change our life forever. I need to know that that's right. And, but, but, there was no, but she started living differently based on the test, but she wasn't showing. So she began to change the way that she walked and exercised and ate and where she went. I mean, she would have had a little bit more grace for some secondhand smoke before she got the test. But once she got the test, it's like, no, you know, this is the, this is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I'm, I'm carrying something. See, your life changes when you know you carry something. Your behavior changes when you know you carry something. The way you pray changes when you know you carry something. Where you go, how you do things, what you believe changes when you know that you're carrying something. And I would propose this to you, that in each and every one of us, there is a deliverer. It might not be a child. It might not be a Samson. It could be a dream. It could be an idea. It could be a gift. It could be a ministry. It could be an innovation. It could, I'm telling you, there's something that's in us. It's not about the, the pastor of the church or the staff of the church. It's about the people in the church. We are the body of Christ. We are the church of Jesus Christ. God's called us to carry. And I think there's a lot of Christians that like to get close to Jesus they just don't like to, I'm, it's going to be a little graphic, but I'm just going to give it to you real quick, all right? It, it, a lot of people like to get close to Jesus, come into a service real quick, but few people like to spend enough time with Jesus to actually get impregnated with purpose. Some of us, we, we, like, we like the feeling of a church service, how that feels in our heart, but we've never spent enough time with Jesus to actually allow him to drop purpose into our heart and realize, I don't live this life for me. I don't live this life for the accolades or the affirmation of people on social media or people that, that, that are in my life. I live for an audience of one. I give for an audience of one. I serve for an audience of one. I preach for an audience of one. I'm given to this. I'm, I'm, I'm carrying something. I entitled this message. I was kind of working on a, on, on a title, and I usually like titles, but I just like, man, I, I didn't know what, what, I should, what I should call this message. And this morning I was praying, the Holy Spirit dropped this verse into my heart. It's in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, and it says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. 
And I felt like the Holy Spirit speak to me and said, your title is your due. And I felt like the Lord told me to tell you, your due. Some of you, some of you are like getting nervous. <laughs> no, 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 not just physically. I'm telling you, spiritually, you're due. Spiritually, you're due. I'm telling you, that promise is due. That breakthrough is due. That healing is due. Our nation is due. Revival is due. I'm telling you, it's, it's time. I remember growing up, I played baseball all my life. Growing up, and, and I love baseball, and, and specifically with some of our best players, if they went through a little bit of a slump, you know, they weren't hitting so well, this is what we'd say to each other. He's due. Oh, he's due. We get excited. The slump brought excitement because we knew the skill that they had. So if they hadn't been doing well for a while, we got excited because they were about to break out. And so we would tell them, hey, man, don't get down. You're due. Hey, I know you had a couple strikeouts. You're due. I know 2020 has been a doozy, but you're due. I know you had some ups and some downs, but you're due. I know some people came against you and it wasn't very nice, but you're due. I know some people said some things about you that weren't true, but that's all right because you're due. You're not living for them anyways. I want you to know that you are due. Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season you will reap a heart. You're due. You know what I found is that people this year, it's like we, we came out and, and we talked about in the beginning of the pandemic, hope is here. And everyone's like, yeah, this thing's going to last like two weeks. Hope is here. And then now like seven months later, we're like, hope, hope? Where's hope? We're starting to wonder. You know what I've seen is people started getting heavy. Just the negativity, just the weight. Even people coming into church. We got to, man, we got to open up church. Some states, they can't even come to church. We got to open up and people coming in just dragging, heavy. Maybe job loss or maybe relationship crisis or maybe just, just the negativity that's in our world. Just, and I want you to know that not another day should go by that that weight sits on your life or on your heart. It is time to, I'm, t- I'm telling you, you're due. You, 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 you have been looking at life with some apprehension because of so many strikeouts. I want you to look with anticipation because just because there's been a slump or just because there was some barrenness or just because there was a season that didn't go the way we wanted to, that just means we're due. Do not grow weary in doing good for in due season you will reap a harvest. Every time you spend time with Jesus, it should provide something in you. To carry. Some of you are like, well, I don't know if I'm carrying anything. You're carrying something. Some of you, you're carrying something that you don't even know. God's using you in ways that you don't even know. But I am trying to call some attention today to the thing that you have, the gifting, the talent, the passion, the thing that just makes you cry, the thing you have compassion for, the thing that, that really keeps you up at night. That thing is God-given, and he's put it in you to advance his kingdom. You're carrying it. So you got to walk different. I remember years ago when we started the movement, it was the youth ministry uh, here at, at the church, and first week we had like 15 kids. And uh, if, if, if you've been around very long, you know sometimes I get a little excited when I'm, when I'm preaching. And uh, it's like people are like, what's wrong with your voice? I lost it. Like, they should, you should yell less, I know. But I get, I get excited, I'm passionate about what God's doing, and, 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 and I remember those, I feel bad for those 15 kids in the beginning, because I preached the 15 like it was 15,000. 
Oh man, like you, sh- you should have seen it. I mean the, 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 I mean, the paint was coming off the walls. It was, we were having revival meetings. 15 kids looking at me like. Because we weren't showing yet. We weren't showing yet, but we were caring. See, when people look at your life, they're going to try to criticize you because they can't see it yet. But you can't deny what's in you because someone else can't see it. You've got to stay strong and not give up, even if someone else tells you you're not really pregnant, you're not really carrying something. I had someone tell me a couple months ago, you're not qualified to be a pastor. I said, well, I don't know if you know this, but I was born into the church, literally. Like day three, I was there, man. I've made all kinds of mistakes, ups and downs, bad decisions, good decisions. But I'll tell you this, I wasn't called by people. I was called by God when I was 19. And when I said yes to that call, I said yes to him. I said yes to what he wanted. And I got to be obedient to that, no matter what anybody else says. And I want you to know that even when people can't see it, and even when people say, you don't have nothing, you're not carrying anything, you're not anointed, you're not qualified, you're not smart enough, sounds like a recipe for God to use you, if you ask me. God's always used underqualified, unqualified, disqualified people. God's always used the underdog. God always used people that the world shut the door on. God always used people that religious people said wouldn't work or wouldn't have. God's not threatened by that. In fact, it's almost like our weakness is a magnet to God's strength. Oh, that sounds like a scripture. In my weakness, he is, I feel the power of God. In my weakness, he is made strong. Maybe you just need to look yourself in the mirror today and say, you're due. You're due. You've been waiting too long. You've been praying too long. You have been believing too long. You're due. And then what happens? What happens? See, almost got you. You're like, yeah. (laughs) What happens when you don't start showing right away? You go back to Galatians and you say, I will not grow weary in doing good for in due season. You know, I was frustrated when when Jude was supposed to be born on the, and I I like it when people are honest. Honesty is like a quality I really value. And uh, I like when people are honest. So when the doctor said Jude will be born on this date, that was our due date. I just expected that to happen. And it didn't. The due, di- the due date came and went. I'm like, uh, we, were, we were due. That's where, that's where the brokenness comes in. When you expected that the promise would come on the due date, but the due date came and went, but there is no promise. Two days later, we had Jude. I'm thankful we didn't give up. See, some of us, we have given up on dreams, on vision, on ministry because a due date came and went. Hey, maybe you got the time wrong. Maybe somebody gave you the wrong due date. Don't throw the baby out because you got the due date wrong. You know, this this story in, in, in the book of John that I love because if you like types and shadows, Samson was a type and shadow of Jesus. He was a child of promise. He was a Nazarite. He came to be a deliverer to his people. Wow. Samson was a type and shadow of Jesus. In John chapter 5, Jesus 
is walking through by the pool of Bethesda. And by the pool of Bethesda, it says all kinds of sick people used to lie. That they would lay there, and the rumor was that, that when the water was stirred, there was a ripple in the water, that the first person in would get healed. So all kinds of people, dysfunctional people, lame people, blind people, anybody with a disability would lay by that water. And when the water was stirred, they would try to get in. And Jesus walks on the scene. The Bible says there was an invalid, a lame man, who'd been lame for 38 years. That's past due. That's past due. 38 years. And Jesus comes to him, and this is what the Bible says, John chapter 5. He says, do do you want to get well? And I, I love this, and I hate it at the same time. I love it that Jesus asked him. I hate it that the man responded probably the same way I would have. He says, do you want to get well? And I'm encouraging the man, say yes. Say yes. 38 years, bro. You are way past due. Say yes. And he goes, but I've got nobody to help me in the pool. Because his only frame of reference for healing was the pool he laid beside. And Jesus was standing in front of him. Jesus said, do you want it? The answer is yes. Did you ever go to Sunday school? If you're not paying attention and they call on you, just say Jesus. Nine times out of ten, you're right. The only bad time is when it's the devil and you said Jesus. It looks bad. Nine times out of ten, it'll pass. Jesus is there. He's standing there. Do you? His healing is right on the other side of his yes. His, his delivery of what he's... I'm tell, it's right on the other side of his yes. But he looks back... And says, I have nobody to help me in the pool. You know what I'm I'm worried about? Is that we're so obsessed with pools. Pastors, teachers, YouTubers, churches. Want to go further? Political parties, causes. That we're so obsessed. We're so obsessed with the pool that we can't see Jesus. This is going to sound so cliche, and I, I almost didn't even say it because it's like so, you, some, so many people are just going to dismiss it. Jesus still is the answer. Jesus is still the answer. Oh, I think we got to tell people this again because it became Jesus and. Jesus plus. Jesus maybe. Jesus but. Jesus if. Jesus. No, he's the way, and he's the truth. And he's the life. Blog about it, talk about it, hate about it. He's still the way. He's still the truth. And he's still the life. There's still absolute truth. The Bible still is the word of God. And the church of Jesus Christ has to stand and has to be counted right now in history. Why? Because we're carrying something. It's not even just for us. It's not even just for you. It's for our kids. It's for the next generation. We got to give our kids a better world than the one we're living in. We got to give our kids a better church than the one we're living in. We got to give the next generation a better example than the one we see. It's Christian first. It's Jesus first. Do you want to get well? Well, as long as it comes through this pool. 38 years. That's why... That's why Christians can go to church 
for years and years and years and never change and never grow and never get healed because it's not going to come through me. It's not going to come through the organization. It's going to come through a Savior and His name's Jesus. And the moment we receive that and the moment we surrender to that, that's where your life will change. That's when things begin to happen. You were barren, but you, you, you were, you were, you were. This is who I used to be. That's not who I am anymore. I will become pregnant. I will carry God's purpose. I will carry legacy. I will do something great for the kingdom of God. I was this. I don't deny it. But I'm not that anymore. God loves you too much to leave you how you were. And I don't care how barren or bad it was. God's got something good on the other side. I wrote these just three thoughts as we close and we'll worship. God knows where you've been. Somebody just needs to hear. It's so simple. God knows where you've been. And he's still here. Some of you think God's going to find out where you've been and be like, peace. That's too much. That's real barren. God knows where you've been. God knows what you can be. I love this. I love this. He put it in me so he knows what I can be. The creator always knows the, the original intent for his creation. The creator didn't just like, oops. He created on purpose for a purpose. He, God knows where you've been. God knows what you can be. And listen to this. God knows what you carry. What I can be is about me. What I carry is about you. What I carry is about the world I'm in. I'm telling you, God is slowly dismantling selfish Christianity. He's slowly dismantling self to the place where we realize, why, we, why do we come here? We don't come here just to check the box. We don't come here just to give fake handshakes and hugs and bless you, brother, and bless you, sister. We come to get around people that believe like we believe that no matter where I've been it does not prophesy to where I'm going no matter what I've been through it is not a death sentence on the rest of my life that we believe that God can actually save America that we believe that revival can come to DFW that we actually believe that God can save prodigals and God can heal bodies that we actually believe in the God of the impossible and believe in the God of the supernatural I'm not here to do a quick teaching or a quick TED talk and try to make you feel good about your life. I'm here to say there's something in you. This is not something I can just give you. I'm telling you there's something God put in you and it'll change your life and change the world around you and it'll change the way you walk and it'll change the way you pray and it'll change the way you live when you realize I'm carrying something. So I've got a prophetic word for you. This prophetic word is really simple. It's the title of our message and I believe it with all my heart. You are due. You're due. Just let that sink in. You're due. You're due. You're due. I've been in a slump. Must be close. You're due. 